fifth and long fans welcome back welcome back a warm welcome a thanksgiving warm welcome paul uh we, we took a break last week because of the holidays uh we were both traveling a little bit enjoying some family time and whatnot uh some food of course do you have uh, a happy turkey day yeah, man, sure did. Sorry to all the listeners out there. A lot of travel involved this weekend on my end. Tough to, to get a podcast episode out last week. So apologize for that. But man, it was a great time. Saw some family I haven't seen in a while. Had some great food and uh, was able to watch some football, obviously. So it was great, man. I'm happy to be back with you. How was your Thanksgiving? Same here. A lot of food, a lot of football, uh, both NFL and, and college. I, I felt like this weekend, I've watched more football collectively than maybe any in, in my entire life. At least that's what it felt like. We had a full slate of NFL games, which was awesome. We had football every single day of the week from Thursday through Monday, which was stupendous. The Black Friday game, I, I loved how they how they structured that. It wasn't a fun game to watch, which we'll get into, but the fact that it was there I thought was really cool. I think that's a great marketing scheme from the NFL that should stick around. Uh, hopefully next year we, we get a better matchup with that game. But in the context of this weekend, it fit perfectly. Um, it was a great holiday, man. I, I, I'm still tasting those sweet candy yams in, in, in my mouth that my mama makes. She crushes those things. Yeah, dude, I'm not a huge yam guy, but love, love me some stuffing. And I've already deleted the the stuffing that uh, my mom sent sent back with me. So all that thing, all those Thanksgiving leftovers are gone already just a couple of days in. But it's how well, it's now, supposed to be. Now it's like on to Thanksgiving sandwiches and, and turkey pot pie and that yeah. sort of deal. That's that is the real the post Thanksgiving meals are almost better than the actual Thanksgiving meals, in my opinion. They, they don't get enough love. Sometimes. Yeah, man. And I, I love a good pot pie. One of the most one of the most underrated dinners that you can have. I know that we had a, a discussion about that today, but love a good pot pie. No, I, I couldn't have said so. much. couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, we did have a pot pie of Thanksgiving games, to say the least. Um, a couple of interesting ingredients in there with the Cowboys and Commanders and, and Niners Seahawks. I don't think those games really fit the Thanksgiving billing. I, I was actually, I was really glad the Packers Lions game was kind of entertaining because those other two games were were brutal. If it wasn't for all the Thanksgiving food and, and whatnot, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it quite as much. Um, Dallas and Washington. And now Dallas, anytime they play a team that's a game or two below 500, I just expect them to beat them by like 20. Doesn't matter. I mean, Sam Howell, Gotta help him. He's trying his best out there, but Washington looks like a completely different team after the trade deadline when they traded their two D linemen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. Uh, they were 500 at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I think the only game they've won since then was against my Patriots. On the other side, we had San Fran and Seattle also a blowout, 31 13. The Niners dominated. They're up 24 to 3 at half. You knew it was over. Niners are outscoring their opponents 92 to 30 since the trade deadline. So they're on the opposite end of that uh, deal with the commanders and, and Chase Young didn't even play, which was kind of interesting. I'm not sure if he was hurt or, or what the, the thing you and I were talking about with these two games is Brock Purdy versus Dak Prescott. Which would you rather have? They're both having awesome seasons. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd rather have Dak. I do. I do think Dak's, like, you know, a little bit more athletic. I think he's got a little bit better arm. 
Um, and he's putting up just as good numbers without as much talent around him as San Francisco. But I heard a, uh, a quote or a comment from Richard Sherman this past week where he was saying is the only reason that we're not really talking about Brock Purdy in a definitive sense, even an MVP discussion, or even as analysts, they're not saying that this guy is definitely a good quarterback just because of where he's picked. Like, I think that that stigma is still kind of looming over him and people are reluctant to just acknowledge him as a good quarterback. I think his point also is the fact, let's say he was the number one overall pick or, you know, like a Trevor Lawrence was putting up these numbers. There would be no question. Like everybody would say, this is, you know, the future of the NFL guy on the rise, one of the elite quarterbacks, maybe not in like the tier of Mahomes Allen, but right there. But with Purdy, just because we, because of where he went, because he is Mr. Irrelevant, he's got that tag associated with him. We don't acknowledge that. Like, I'm not saying that I think Brock Purdy's the MVP. Like if just between those two guys we mentioned, Purdy and Dak, I would say Dak is more of an MVP candidate. But I mean, San Francisco is so dominant now, and they've won enough games where like, Purdy's done the best in Kyle Shanahan's system. I was a skeptic coming into this year, but man, I mean, he deserves credit, dude. 19 touchdowns, six picks, 70% completion percentage. He's got a better QBR than Josh Allen. Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts this year. All those guys have been mentioned in the MVP discussion at one point or another, but not really Purdy. I just think it, it's a tough, tough situation for him. To your point, we're kind of doing that same thing with a guy by the name of CJ Stroud right now, who's been getting all the hype for the last like month. And if you look at their stats, um, Stroud undoubtedly has the edge in yards. He has, uh, uh, close to 400 more yards than than Purdy on the season. Uh, Stroud, if I'm not mistaken, actually uh, at this point leads the NFL in, in passing yards. He's second actually behind Sam Howell, who's at just over 3,300. Stroud is at 3,266. But the rest of their numbers, I mean, Purdy and, and Stroud both have 19 TDs. Purdy has one more interception, but he's completing his passes at a 75% clip whereas Stroud is completing at a 62% clip. That's 75% clip, clip, far and away the best in the league. And the only guy behind him is Dak, who we were just talking about. Dak now completing 70% of his passes. He's got that number with 65 more attempts than Purdy. He's got four more touchdowns. They have the same amount of interceptions. It's an interesting argument, and, and I think – Dak is now, to me, firmly in the MVP conversation after after the previous week. You can't say he's not. I mean, you're basically basing this award now off the teams with the best records, who's their quarterback, and are they playing well? Dak's playing great. Uh, he's got the third best odds for the MVP right now at plus 600. I think that's pretty spot on. You can't really put him over uh, Tua, or not, not Tua, excuse me, Jalen or Lamar, but he's up there. And... I think I would probably pick him over Purdy as well to start my offense with just because he's been around a little bit more, but Purdy's showing some things and, and he's got that offense running. They look like an AI generated offense at times. Like which pieces would you want with an NFL offense? You want the best running back ever and Christian McCaffrey. You want the running back wide receiver hybrid and Debo who, you have no idea when he's getting the ball or what he's going to do with it. 
you've got the beast tight end Kittle, who you don't even need to play awesome all the times, but when he shows up, he makes a difference. And then you also have Ayuk, who's a spectacular secondary receiving option. It's really interesting, and, and I would love to see those teams match up in a playoff game. I think it would be really fun, and and we could definitely put this argument to rest after that. Not sure I totally get what you're getting at with the AI-generated offense, but all that talent that you mentioned I also think works against Brock Purdy. Like Everybody just says, oh, it's because of all the pieces he's got around him, and he's such a system guy. You talked about the yards, too, with C.J. Stroud. San Francisco's not playing from behind as much as Houston is. They got a great defense, too. They don't need to throw as many times. They, you know, they, And they have that great running back in McCaffrey. They have that luxury to hand the ball off to him. Um, again, Purdy's not an MVP. He's not, he's not my MVP. But I think he's a guy that should be on the fringe of, of the discussion, at least. Uh, and that's that's all I'm trying to say to say with that. Uh I would also, by the way, to a point you earlier made, this is just the uh, the Steeler fan of me. I would definitely say give Dak the MVP over Lamar, but that's <laughs> you know what right. do you expect out of me? No, I, I agree with you there too. Honestly, I I um well, but you just said earlier that Lamar that you had Lamar over him. No, Lamar is it in the MVP odds? He's he's oh second. oh oh oh. I was going I over the odds. You there. So so they have you there. they have Jalen is number one, Lamar is two, and then they have. Um, uh, Dak is three. Um, Jalen's passing numbers aren't that good this year. No, he's I, I not. Was, I, I was shocked. He doesn't even have a two to one TD to pick ratio. I know he does a ton with his legs, but well, he's got double. About, he's got double digit rushing touchdowns. That, that that's the thing. That is huge. That is huge. But you talk about like Jalen Hurts too. Everybody always makes the argument with Brock Purdy and how much he's got around him. Jalen Hurts has a phenomenal offensive line, maybe the best offensive line in the NFL. He's got two really good receivers and a very good running back in DeAndre Swift. You know, people people always make that argument with Purdy, but they never make it with the with the Eagles. I feel like with Hurts, it's interesting. Hurts has eighteen passing touchdowns, eleven rushing touchdowns, and ten picks so far in the year. So twenty nine total. Josh Allen has 24 plus passing touchdowns. Uh, how many rushing touchdowns? He's got nine rushing touchdowns. That's 33, but he has 13 picks. So I, I was just looking at overall touchdowns. Um, when yeah, when you're that's interesting though because when you're looking at overall touchdowns with a quarterback, do you? Because I don't, but do you value the rushing touchdown as much as one that they throw? Because, like, take a guy like Jalen Hurts. Whenever they get on that one-yard line, they do that tush-push. And I know that they're great at it. But is him doing that? Should that, like, really catapult him that much over somebody who doesn't rush touchdowns in? I mean, how many touchdowns do you think of those 11 that you cited are one-yard scampers or one-yard tush-pushes that they probably could have just handed the ball off to DeAndre Swift as well. I would bet it's probably like half. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, that's but even then, that's like – I mean, we saw – he had that walk-off touchdown in the game against Buffalo where he ran it in from like 14, 15 yards out or whatever. I'm sure he's got a handful of those too. You know, I, I'm not discounting the stat, but I'm not looking at it entirely as a whole either. And I also don't think it's totally fair to like – scrap a touchdown just because it's a tush push because it's not like at this point now like almost every team has their own version of it and there's only a few teams 
that can do it as well as the Eagles. So if you could execute it, the quarterback's a, a, a part of it. He's not the biggest part of it. A lot of it has to do with leverage and driving the legs and, and finding the right angle to do with it. I actually went on a whole YouTube deep dive about this. The, the Eagles brought in a rugby oh, coach to, to teach them to tush push over the year. They brought in some Scotsman and uh, I forget his name, but J- Jason Kelsey did a whole impression. That was terrible. Uh, anyways, um, I do, I do take the, the rushing touchdowns into account. I think you have to considering it's a part of the game now with QBs, how many mobile quarterbacks we have. And when you have guys who are not just leading their team in rushing touchdowns, but are up near the top in the league in rushing touchdowns at quarterbacks, you have to look at it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you make, you make a fair point there. Um, I'll, I'll hand it to you. I just, I just think the last point I'll make, and people are going to think I am such a, a Brock, po- Brock Purdy homer when, believe me, going into this year, I was as big of a skeptic on Purdy as anybody. I just, when you talk about in terms of value of the position, I don't look at Hertz's rushing stats and say, okay, him doing a one yard tush push. I don't look at that as more valuable than Purdy turning around and handing the ball to McCaffrey for a one yard touchdown run. That is like bottom line, the point I'm trying to make. I know some people do, but I don't look at hit the rushing stats like that. Gotcha. All right. I, I don't, you also have a point. I think, I think both sides of that argument are relevant in their own ways. Uh, like it's hard to really say, I'd be interested to see if, um, I will actually, nobody really talked about how dominant the Patriots were at QB sneaking when Brady was doing it at like oh, a crazy success go. rate. And th- this go. is, this is my <laughs> rant. Nobody complained. Nobody cared. Why is it such a big deal now? Is it just because he's, he's getting pushed from some guy behind him? So it's, I don't know. It doesn't bother me that much. Um, the best Thanksgiving day game though, was easily Green Bay, Detroit. And I think you and I are going to butt heads a little bit over this one. Um, I'm putting this entire this loss entirely on the fault of Dan Campbell. This was his loss. It's entirely his fault. What he what His decision-making in this game was ridiculous. He went for it. What was it? Uh, the, the Lions missed, I think, four separate fourth down conversions in the game. One of them was on a fake punt inside their own 25. And then the other three were within field goal range. Uh, the longest of which would have been a 52 yard field goal. Riley Patterson, their kicker his season long is 52. His career is 53. So I guess the argument is that's like right on the edge of his range, but he's made those kicks already this year. And the Lions essentially benched him after he whiffed on his extra point early in the game. I, the, the, the difference in points there uh the, the the fake punt led to a touchdown for green bay that's a 15 point swing uh green bay mi- missed the kick that why the, the extra point that's why it wasn't a 16 point swing but that's the difference in the game there it's it's not the struggles of the offense it's not Derek carr getting lit up by rashawn gary and the packers d-line gary had a crazy day Derek by the carr. way uh, or not Derek carr jared goff excuse me um getting lit up by by the uh, packers d-line uh, Gary had three sacks, two forced fumbles, both of which he recovered. That's Dan Campbell's fault. Like we've given it, I gave him credit the last pod for, uh, the decision-making to go for it on fourth down at the end of that game a couple weeks ago. And I'm on the total flip side of it today. He was just like on a power trip with going for it on fourth and it, and it really cost his team. 
Um, the Lions are a good team. I'm, I'm not holding this loss too much against them. If anything, my biggest takeaway is I don't think I can trust Campbell as a head coach in like really big games. Can you imagine the Lions playing at a Super Bowl? He'd go for it on like every fourth down. <laughs> like it wouldn't matter where it was. And that's what makes me nervous uh, about what I saw here. Um, I will give credit to Jordan Love. He played one of his best games so far in his career. And after I talked a lot of smack about Matt LaFleur and that staff a couple of weeks ago, um, the Packers are now just barely on the outside of the NFC playoff picture. So they've got a little bit of life there. It's a great win for them. I just, Dan Campbell, man, what the heck are you doing? I feel somewhat vindicated, Patrick. I don't put this loss solely on Dan Campbell, but I was saying everything that you were saying just now a couple weeks ago. What game was that? That they It was a game against the Chargers, which was when I first said, I see some kinks in the Lions. I cited exactly what you said. Decision-making and lack of confidence in their kicker. I also talked a lot about their poor defense, which I still have a, a lot of concerns about, about their defense. But yes, I mean, they kick in a dome too. You should be able to, a dome kicker should be able to make a 55 yarder with somewhat relative ease. I, I do think Campbell gets a little bit too aggressive. I think that that can be ironed out as, as a coach. Like this is only his, this second or third year. I can't remember off the top of my head if it's second or third, but uh, I'll take a guy like Mike Tomlin, who I'm not a huge fan of either, but just having watch, just watching him throughout, you know, my football fandom career he went for it a lot a lot in his early years and he's he's dialed that back more in, in later years I think that when you first get into the coaching game you're a little bit more aggressive with that so Campbell will definitely have to he'll have to dial that back and he'll have to kind of learn uh, somewhat of a balance between going for it and understanding when the right time to punt is I still like the energy energy he brings to that team. Uh, I you know I still think he's the right guy for for the job there in Detroit. Absolutely, but yeah, man, I have seen cracks in this Lions team now for a couple of weeks, and I just I don't they're not in that elite tier in the NFC. I think you know you have your San Francisco's and your Phillies, and I even think Dallas. I put I put above them with I think just how much Dallas dominates. Yeah, this was a division game, but Detroit's just not not quite not quite there for me. No, I I, I totally agree with you, and and I'm I just have it because of their coach really at this point. Their defense plays a role in it too. Um, their offense was super shaky today, or their O line was super shaky today. Uh, credit to the Packers O line, by the way. They they didn't give up a single sack on the day, so that was a big part in the in the difference in this result as well. Uh, Golf was hit a bunch of times in this game. I, I think if I'm not mistaken, he was pressured like a dozen times. Um, oh yeah. He was under duress. He fumbled. He fumbled a couple of times too, which shouldn't be ignored. One of them went for a touchdown. Uh, I certainly didn't really have a, uh, a Dan Campbell bashing sesh on, on our bingo card for the fifth and long podcast today. I also do think he's one of the front runners for coach of the year. Like I still think he's a good coach. As he should that, be. Let me put, the, As well, he I mean, you did just say that one of the thing, one of the things that concerns you about this team and how deep it can go is the head coach. Yes, but, so but that's it? It, it's a little bit of both because he's a big part of the reason of their success and why they're probably going to win their division. But at the same time, sometimes I, I wonder if he's taking like fireball shots or something on the sidelines between quarters just for fun. And, and that's where the decision making is coming from. The the fake punt at the 20 at their own 23 was inexcusable. It, it like, I, I agree. 
Yeah. That was you can't you can't. There is no argument for for that play call when it doesn't work out. And that that was if if it was just the the skipping on the field goals, I probably wouldn't have been upset. But the fake punt for me was like just ridiculous. Um, I we gotta we gotta move to a different game before he I... does not rip shots of fireball. By the way, have you ever seen his <laughs> coffee order? It's like two venties oh, yeah. like with shots of espresso in them to start his day. Man just loads up on caffeine every day. I would that's be, that's I'd what be it jittering. is. Yeah. He's just a tweaker. That's all it is. He, he's just like jittering on the sidelines and shaking his hands and probably accidentally puts the clicks the wrong button or all something. Right. I, I don't want to associate the term tweaker with Dan Campbell. I do love Dan <laughs> Campbell. We are giving him too much hate right now. But <laughs> All right. En- enough of the Dan Campbell slammer. We love you, um, Dan Campbell, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, the Black Friday game, we, we teased a little bit earlier. Jets, Jets, Dolphins. This was pretty ugly. Um, Miami had this game bagged up pretty much from, from kickoff, but if they didn't, what happened right before halftime definitely sealed the deal. If I'm not mistaken as well, just before the pick six, the jets actually got the ball back on a pick and then threw up that hail Mary that gets returned 99 yards for the TD. Mike McDaniel is so excited. He, he runs off the field and forgets that they had to kick an extra point. That was one of the cooler plays I've seen. Um, and on like Thanksgiving weekend football, I'm counting the the Black Friday game as that like Thanksgiving slate. I'm, I'm having a rough year as a Patriots fan. I'm still glad I'm not a Jets fan because that's that was so typical. Dude, I missed the play. I mean, I've obviously watched it <laughs> on replay, but OK, I'm I'm glued to the TV because my fantasy season is on the line in our league and two is my quarterback. And despite his crappy day, which we'll talk about, I'm sure later, I did survive and get a win. So I am still alive. But yes, he throws a pick there and I'm all pissed. And I see Tim Boyle load up to chuck it to to the goal line. I see the Dolphins come down with it and I leave the living room to to go do something else. I don't even remember. And then I just hear whoever the announcer was Herb Street. Now Michael is going crazy on the on the broadcast. I'm like, what the hell happened? And and lo and behold, I look and they're the Miami defenders in the end zone. Classic Jets, man. Classic Jets. That was crazy. And I, I mean, you think about the butt fumble. It's that's up there. It's it's like these two plays, I think, are, are the most Jetsy Jets plays I've ever seen in my life. Pretty rough for Jets fans. Another win for Miami. I think they pretty much have the AFC sewn up at this point. I, I don't see Buffalo coming back and, and taking the division from him. They're a good team. I think they can they can probably win like a playoff game, but I don't see them in that top top tier yet. Although the AFC is still kind of wide open, so anything could happen, I guess. But yeah, they they still have their flaws. They they've really benefited from from getting to play the Jets and Pats a couple times a year each. Yeah, they just haven't haven't like beaten anybody yet. I can't. I I, I hate to talk down on them because they do have a lot of talent on their team, but I don't know how we can, it's crazy to say 11, 11 games into the season. I don't know how we can make a definitive judgment on them when they haven't beaten a team with a winning record. I guess now they have beaten Denver crazy to believe that that 70 to 20 game, they have technically now beaten a team with a winning record because Denver's By six 50 and five. points too. Yeah. 
but uh, that Denver other team was, than, was totally different though. I know. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, and then outside of that, they haven't really beaten anybody of relevance. So I no. just can't, I, I can't make a judgment on them yet. I really, I can't. mean, you even look at, uh, at their, at their games against uh, their game against the bills so far this year, the bills beat them by four touchdowns. Yeah, Like that's, that's the line of demarcation in their own division. That's the measuring stick for the second best team, the second best team in their division vision beat them by four tutties. They, they do have their last three games on the year are uh, at home against the Cowboys on Christmas Eve, then in Baltimore against the Ravens on, on new year's Eve. And then they play the bills at home in their last, last game of the year. So their last three that's weeks are tricky. Yeah. That's tough. That's really tricky. Um, There's, they could possibly lose all three of those games and, and maybe, maybe that's the situation where Buffalo comes back. They're only, um, I guess they're two and a half games behind them right now. Um, otherwise, for the Jets, they're now in play for the eighth pick in next year's draft. Uh, possibly could move up a few spots. We'll see. Next up, we're going to move to to Baltimore, LA. Not much to talk about really in this one. It, this was kind of an ugly game, actually. Baltimore, it seemed like neither team really played that well, and it sort of seemed like Baltimore just wanted to keep giving the ball back to to Staley and, and Herbert and they just didn't believe anything was going to come of it. And Zay flowers outscored everybody on the field. He had, he had 14 points to everybody else's 10 and, and, and six. So shout out to him man. chestnut Hill, Boston college Eagles fly Eagles fly. Yeah. Otherwise not a great game by any means. More of a, more of a defense style win for, for Baltimore here. They put up 20, but like you said, Zay Flowers had two touchdowns and one of them was at with two minutes to go less than two minutes. Actually, he probably, I mean, he's a rookie and know he wants to score and everything, but he probably should have just slid down once he got the first down there because they could have just run the clock out from there. So really, I mean, this game could have really more realistically been a 13, 10 game. You're right. They looked a little spotty on offense in the second half. Lamar hasn't been quite as sharp the past couple of weeks. That defense is so good, man. They fly to the ball. I mean, there were some brutal hits. I remember there was one, I think Patrick Queen just like really rocked Austin Eckler. I can't remember exactly when in the game it was, but Eckler's a tough guy to, to move. And they, their linebackers are so good, man. I mean, that's they were comparing that defense to the 2000 Ravens D on the on the broadcast, which is granted extreme, but like, they're elite. They're they're that is an elite defensive unit. It's definitely they're definitely capable of winning winning games solely on their defense in the postseason. To your point, if I'm looking through uh, their defense, they have four different first round draft picks in that defense. Not only four different first round draft picks, they've got four different first round picks that were drafted in the top half of the first rounds. They've got Javian Clowney, a former number one overall pick, Roquan Smith, a former number eight overall pick, Patrick Queen, number 28 in 2020, and then Kyle Hamilton, who they drafted out of Notre Dame a couple years ago with the 14th pick. They're loaded with Hamilton talent. Was, Hamilton was flying to the ball too. I was hearing his name called a ton in that game. He's having a great year so far, yeah. and and you give it another season or two, he's going to be in that conversation for for one of the best uh, safeties in football, I think. But it's good to 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 your point about Flowers, who probably should have should have slid instead of walking into the end zone. 
there's some fantasy managers that were really happy he did that. He, he walked into the end zone. There's some betters, I'm sure, that were really happy he walked into the end zone. And Keenan Allen might end up being really happy he did that at the end of the year because something that nobody's talking about right now, Keenan Allen currently is on pace for 149.9 receptions by year's end. Now, it's an interesting number. One, one it can't, obviously, you can't have nine tenths of a reception, but the current single season NFL reception record is 149 set by Michael Thomas. I'm hearing a lot of, of chatter about Tyreek Hill breaking possibly the receiving yards record this year, uh, which he is on pace to do, by the way. But Keenan Allen is also on pace to break a record. And he had quite a few receptions uh, after that touchdown by Zay Flowers right around that two-minute mark. That could end up paying some dividends down the year if he ends up um, beating that that record by like two or three catches. Um it's pretty crazy, man. Keenan Allen's having a career year. Um, I, I've loved having him on my fantasy team this year. He's been doing a lot for me. And uh, he needs 53 catches over the next uh, six games to break the record. Right now he has 97 through 11 games. Um, he just had 55 catches over the last six weeks. So so he can do that. Yeah, man. I didn't uh, uh, Until we talked before we hopped on here to do this episode, I wasn't aware of that. I wasn't aware how – how record setting potentially of a pace that he's on. Uh, I know on the club Garnet side, which we'll talk fantasy in a little bit. I know that that influenced one very, very crucial matchup on our end. So yeah, man, he's had a phenomenal year. I was dead, dead wrong on him. I thought uh, he's getting a little bit up there in age. I thought he would take a step back. Some of the young talent that they had, like Quentin Johnston would step up and he hasn't, he's actually, um, kind of done the opposite in some crucial situations for them. Quinton Johnson, back, by uh, the way, yeah. p- picked one pick before Zay Flowers in last year's NFL draft. Interesting. It's a revenge yeah, they, game for Zay Flowers. They flashed uh, – I don't know if you caught on the broadcast. They flashed the uh, the run on receivers that happened in that mid to late portion of uh, the first round of this past year's draft where it went like Smith and Jigba, uh, Quinn Johnson, Zay Flowers, and I'm forgetting uh, a fourth one, but uh, it was like back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. And Quinn Johnson had by far the worst stats of, of any of those guys. So it's been a disappointing year for him. The Mike Williams injury helps – Keenan Allen's volume, but I'm not taking away from Keenan, man. It's, it's having a phenomenal year. Should be right up there for discussion of best receiver in the league this year. I mean, Tyree Kill's got the edge, but I'm just saying Keenan should, should be in that discussion. Moving on to another uh, AFC North team, a couple of them, actually. Uh, this was a, inter- uh, a divisional matchup between your Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Um 16-10 final, and this one, Pittsburgh comes out with a dub. The Steelers now, I believe, in sole possession of the fifth spot in the AFC playoff picture. Big win for the Steelers, but but this game was a lot closer on paper than it really was. Um, your Steelers played classic ball control football. That They they held uh, Cincinnati's run game in check. I, I don't even think Mixon, Mixon had, like, uh, double-digit carries, if I'm not mistaken. I think he only had like eight. Um, I'm looking at the box score now. Yeah, he had eight carries for 16 yards. They didn't even try to get him the ball. They just totally relied on on Jake Browning. Uh, Mixon did have a couple of receptions. Uh, one was a, a screen pass that went for a ton of yards late in the game. But 
the offense looked totally different for you guys. The big news, obviously, you got your your Christmas wish a little bit early with Matt Canada being fired. Um, a Thanksgiving stocking stuffer for you or something along those lines. Um, Najee Harris got some great touches. Pickett had his uh, second best game as a pro passing yards wise and his, his most passing yards he's ever had as a, in a win as a pro, which, which I think was huge. If, if you can get that passing offense, just working a little bit and your defense stays the course, you're going to have a good team. I'm just, I don't know how you're going to fare against teams that, that have that healthy starting quarterback (laughs) leading, leading their offense is what I'm trying to say. I think if Burrow's in that game, you probably lose probably. Yeah, man. Uh, You know, I've played the role of the pessimistic Steeler fan all year and I'll continue to do so. Uh, I always start with with the bad before the good. Um, I'm going to agree with your point entirely that, you know, if Burrow's in, he he would he would lead the Bengals to victory. I'm still like we just have faced this slew of backup quarterbacks now. And, you know, I kind of in the same breath of the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins are a better team, but we're seven and four, but I can't really, like, I can't evaluate us as a seven and four team. We've had a lot of things break our way. So, and let's keep in mind too, like let's a little bit of cautious optimism for all of the Steeler fans out there who are saying, Oh, we're, we're, you know, we got a new look offense now, no Matt Canada. Yes. It was the first time we've gone over 400 yards since Matt Canada was employed, but it's, it is still just one game, you know? So, so that, that, those were the things I was telling myself as a Steeler fan, the good Matt Canada and the Steelers offense has been ripped, ripped to shreds for not using the middle of the field uh, on passes. And also this year in particular, not getting Pat Fryermuth involved. We'll talk about Fryermuth a little bit more in the fantasy football segment, but he came back this week from hamstring injury and they threw to him over the middle, opened up first play of the game, was right to him over the middle. He had over 100 yards. That is what I need to see. Like that schematically was different. You can say, you know, it's the same playbook, which it is. We have different play callers now, but that was a clear schematic difference. That was the most encouraging thing for me, but I am being cautiously optimistic. Let's see how it works against better teams and let's see if it can be replicated. Steelers will get another opportunity to play the Bengals uh, close to Christmas time on December 23rd. That game will be in Pittsburgh. Um, otherwise, you, you you don't have the toughest schedule going forward. Not your next, at all. No, your next not two games all. are against the Cardinals and, and my Pats. Um, we are not putting money on that game, by the way. Um, absolutely not. You won't swindle me. Um, <laughs> the, the Seahawks, you finish uh, – you have – uh, date with on New Year's Eve in Seattle, and then you finish against the Ravens in Baltimore uh, the very end of the season. But you might have your seed set at that point in the year, depending on what happens. So uh, I, I'm i pretty much dead set on, on the Steelers being a playoff team at this point. I'm just not sure how they'll fare when they actually get there. That 4-5 matchup uh, could be really interesting if, if Pittsburgh sticks there. Next game, sticking in the AFC North again, Denver Cleveland. This one was um, this was actually weirdly one of my favorite games to watch this weekend, which is h- hysterical considering Cleveland. Low standard. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was kind of fun. Um, 
Cleveland had a ton of trick plays and weird like gadget formations. They were doing all these things where they were like lining up with Kareem Hunt at quarterback and pitching it to Dorian Thompson Robinson on a reverse. And then he'd find a tight end or somebody like over the middle on a crossing route. It was really schematically. It was entertaining in that sense. I I was, my eyes were appeased. It was different. It wasn't something I was used to seeing, but it was really because Cleveland didn't have any other choice. They had to manufacture some offense. Um, DTR actually had some okay moments, even though his stat line was unimpressive. Um, and once he went out of the game, it, Cleveland was pretty much done. They, they just threw in PJ Walker and, and Walker was not as pretty to watch. Um, did not have a great game uh, in, in the quarter of action he had. Uh, the Browns also had two turnovers on those trick plays. I were mentioning those really played a role in, in why they lost this game. Um, but on the flip side though, Russ didn't have the best game on paper, but he was making some plays that looked like Russell Wilson of seven, eight, nine years ago, which was cool. Denver keeps winning, man. And, and their defense is forced uh, 15 takeaways in their last four games, which is their best um, takeaway stretch. I think since 1989, if I'm not mistaken, they've been helped out a ton by their defense, but I think the chemistry between Peyton and Wilson now is, is starting to bubble over to the top and starting to, to flow to the rest of the team. So I would hate to play them. I'd certainly hate to play them in Denver this time of year. They're a team I wouldn't want to run into. Uh, no matter who my team is, I'd be coaching. I, I think they could somehow grind out their way to being a threat, even against some of, some of the best teams. And, and that's not because I believe in them as a contender. It's just you, you can't argue with what they've been doing the last month and change. Pulling some good statistics out of your hat today, Patrick. Didn't know that about the turnover stretch. Yeah, they're, I mean, their defense done a hell of a 180. We just talked about that game, briefly mentioned at Miami and Denver. And, dude, they have completely flipped the script. And Vance Joseph has done a great job turning around that defense. They talked about how they were using – they they kind of used that as motivation here or there. Um, but, you know, for by and large, it's not something that they bring up every time. And I think that that's kind of more, even more so speaks to, to how well they've turned things around. Like they don't need to use that for motivation week in and week out. They, they said they bring it up here and there, but uh, completely reformed. And I do like what Russ uh, was doing. The stat line won't jump out to you, but his throw to Adam Troutman was phenomenal for the touchdown. Troutman caught it on uh, his rear end and that ball had to be right in the exact spot that it was. He's not, he's not the Seattle Russ, but this, this team is looking better and, you know, I, they've got a reasonable case to, to make a wild card. So um, we'll see. I'm, I'm still a little bit cautious on them because I don't know how good their offense is in, in general, how well it stacks up to the others, but pretty, uh pretty damn good. I want to make one point on the Browns end though. And yes, I have Jerome Ford in fantasy. So I was pissed. Why the hell? is Kevin Stefanski with a rookie quarterback who's backup third string, whatever you want to call him. He threw the ball. Well, the Browns collectively threw the ball 42 times in this game. And they run the ball. What? 16, 21, 24. What the hell are you doing? Jerome Ford goes first over seven yards per carry, man. He got nine carries for 65 yards. He doesn't even touch double digit carries. 
What are you doing? You should be trying to utilize your ground game to set up play action and easier throws for Dorian Thompson Robinson later in the game, not trying to use him in the pass game to set up your run game. That's already good. Makes no sense. Horribly horrible play calling from Stefanski on his end. I, I could not let that slide, man. I don't disagree. That's all. That's all. That's all. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> no, you're good. I, yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you at all. Um, little bit of questionable game planning with having uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson as your starting quarterback. You knew all week that was going to be the case. But like I said, he didn't look terrible. He actually had some flashes where, like, he made some good plays. He he evaded the rush all right. He had a lot of incompletions, but a ton of those were just throwaways. Yeah, I was um, going to say, he's okay, but he's 14 to 29. Yeah. Like, I, I, the, the guy's in a tough spot, but let's not, you know, he's not. Right. But but you're totally – special. You're totally on the money though. They they could have gotten their back some more touches and Ford, I think, would have helped them at least get DTR into some better like third down situations or or maybe yeah, just could exactly. have moved the chains a few more times, getting close to the red zone, whatever. Right. Um, you only had six po- uh, 12 points in this game, so you obviously needed it. You mentioned um the offense of Denver, and we talked a little bit about the defense, and it, it kind of got me thinking. How dissimilar is this Broncos team from the Steelers? I feel like they're kind of the same in a lot of ways. Good coach, kind of an all right-ish offense that has struggled for most of the year. <laughs> you just <laughs> I, I caught that by the way, that eh, when I said good coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think Sean Payton's a good coach. <laughs> come on man give, give your guys never mind never mind we're not going to do that um the defenses are, are there for both teams certainly as of late and they're only one game apart record wise i'd have to do a deeper dive on the stats which i'm not going to do now but i think there's a like there's a little bit of smoke to that argument it, you do you do make a decent comparison there it's uh i think a team's that defense is the stronger element of of the overall team which is bizarre that we're saying that about the broncos i mean if you would have said that after their 70 point loss to or 70 to 20 loss to miami and then by thanksgiving time we'd be saying the defense is actually probably the stronger part of their team i i would not have believed it offense can be a little bit anemic at times i would say that the strengths of the offenses is kind of the only thing that's different Russell Wilson's got the edge of quarterback over Kenny Pickett for sure. And the Steelers run game is better than Denver's run game. I can say that pretty definitively. Javante Williams, another guy on my fantasy team who gets a lot of volume, but, and granted, this was a tough matchup, only averaged three and a half yards per carry. I think the Steelers are a little bit more explosive on the ground than the Broncos tend to be uh, with that, that dual back threat of Najee and Jalen Warren, but the quarterback edge goes to Denver. So yeah, similarities. It's kind of like they arrive at the same point. Uh, but just take different paths, if you will. You don't play Denver, do you? No, no. Steelers and, and Broncos don't play this year. Interesting. Uh, all right. Next game we're going to talk about. Um, Jackson Jacksonville-Houston. I feel bad for the Texans after this one. They could have won this game. I, I was actually hoping it went to overtime. Both both times these teams have met have been pretty solid so far this year. Uh, Stroud was trying to win this game all by himself, really, for for – Texans. He led the team in rushing yards with 47. No other ball carrier had more than 18 yards. And and I don't know why 
that was the case considering how much the Texans run game has done for them the last couple of wins. Totally got away from it in this game, relied on the pass, maybe a little bit too much, even though Stroud has been incredible this year and he was good again today. 26 to 36 in the air, 304 yards passing. This was his sixth game passing for more than 300 yards this year. That's most in the NFL. Nico Collins, incredible, seven receptions for 104 yards. But ultimately, I, I think this game count came down to uh, one, um, Trevor Lawrence and Calvin Ridley just turning into like God tier Tom Brady, Randy, Mo- Randy Moss in the second whoa, half. Whoa, 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 all right, whoa, all right, that's whoa, that's whoa. a little. Come steep. on now, man. <laughs> that's a little steep, I know, but they just they were clicking, and I, and I'm I am jesting slightly with that. A good bit, actually. But you can't deny that it seemed like down the stretch of that game, anytime Lawrence was dropping back, he was going to connect with Ridley for some kind of big passing play. I'm going to have to mack a, 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 or hate a little bit on D'Amico Ryans. He went for it on fourth and one around midfield in, in the third quarter with a really questionable play call. He, he, he brought the team out in the guns, so you're not even lining up in a run formation with one yard line to go and Stroud's going through his options after, after the play starts, he ended up slinging it down the sideline to Dalton Schultz on a go route, like 30 to 40 yards downfield. He overthrows him by five yards. And at the end of the game, you ended up really needing three points to send it to overtime. If you just call a run play there, (laughs) like, which they didn't do a ton or even like a quarterback draw out of that formation or something, you get the first down, you get another first down or two, you can kick a field goal and maybe tie the game. They were going for it for, from 58 uh, with Amendola at the end of the game to try to tie it. I don't know, man. They're a great team. And um, Stroud, I, I love, obviously. We've talked about him a lot on the pod, and, and I'm not going to discount them as a playoff team. But I, this game gave me a little bit of question just with um, – there's been a couple of weird – decisions to go for it on fourth down from them the last couple of weeks um the game a couple of weeks ago we talked about it a little bit where they they went for it a few times and and let um uh let the other team get back into it i'm I'm pulling up who that team was uh right now it was uh the Bengals in that game against joe burrow they went for it a couple times they went for it a couple times and, and cincinnati ended up coming back but for jacksonville it's a huge win they they i think they might have won the division with this game uh, essentially. I mean, yeah, the Jaguars should be good in the division now with an effective two game lead on Houston. I, I really had really had Houston pecked uh, to come back, and win this division. I thought when Stroud got the ball back with two minutes to go or just under, he was going to take him down the field again. And it looked like he was about to took kind of a bad sack there around midfield. And, you know, they, they put themselves in a, a tough field goal spot. Um, I didn't love the play calling either. Like after that sack was taken, I think that I thought that they should have started playing for the field goal. I thought that they were still, at least for a time, you know, maybe trying to push the ball to end up getting the touchdown for the win. I mean, you know, CJ Stroud has proven that he can do it the past couple of weeks. So I, I kind of get the thought process there, but you know, you're at home too. Sometimes it's like the old adage in baseball is you go for the win on the road. You play for the tie at home. Uh, thought that that might've been what Houston should have done here. I don't look at Houston any, I don't look at them. I, I give Jacksonville 
more credit. Like my opinion of Jacksonville raised more than my opinion of Houston fell after this game. The season series is still split. Houston's on the cusp of a playoff spot. There's going to be ups and downs, some growing pains, some things to learn from, like taking that sack on that final drive for Stroud. That's just the nature of it. Um, He still was great. If you look at his numbers, he's still getting better each day. Houston's got a lot to be optimistic about, even if they don't make the playoffs this year. So, yes, Jacksonville looks like the de facto AFC South winner now after fifth and long had – had had it on a hot take that Houston was going to overtake that division. Good battle. Good battle. I'm, I'm, I'm giving Jacksonville more credit than I'm knocking Houston. That's, that's my big thing. And yes, Calvin Ridley, finally, finally involved. I said that too, that Jacksonville needed to get him involved. So good on Jacksonville. They're starting to use all their weapons now. The the biggest thing Houston should be worried about now is they're actually in third place. And the AFC South after that loss, Indianapolis jumped them right. with their Indianapolis win. Indianapolis has been sneaky. Yeah. And Indy is now the seventh seed in the playoffs. Houston's got that eight spot. So that is the cause for concern for me is if um, this divisional loss might have played the Texans out of it. But I mean, they do have a date with the Colts at the end of the year. They've got the Broncos, Jets, Titans twice, and Browns mixed in as well. So a couple of matchups against potential playoff teams in there. Could be could be an interesting fight for Houston down the stretch. Our favorite game of the week, I think, for both of us, was Philly-Buffalo. Undoubtedly, right? Oh, yeah. Best one. One of the best games of the season. So far. So far. Uh, definitely lived up to the billing. Jalen Hurts, five total touchdowns. Only one was a tush push, I believe. <laughs> Rain-soaked game, terrible weather, typical, like, Philly winter game. And Buffalo came to play. They traded punches with Philly all night. This was really – I mean, we saw Dallas do it. I wasn't sure if Buffalo was going to do it, but they did. Allen had an insane game. Uh, Davis and Diggs both made a ton of plays. And Philly, it just – they were able to keep pushing the ball. Like, Buffalo's defense couldn't get a stop to save its life. Philly's passed every test so far they faced this year. They've got a date against the Niners in Philly next week for what's probably going to be the highest anticipated game of the season so far. Um, weirdly enough, they're actually Vegas has San Fran minus three right now, which is interesting. The the only real other note for me was that Tyler Bass. Um, shout out Tyler Bass. Dutch Pork Silver Fox Nation um, missed two field goals in regulation that that if he if he makes just one of them, the Bills win that game. Um, that definitely came back to hurt them. He's missed a couple of kicks this year in, in, in games they've lost. Philly, Philly deserved the win. And, and I I kind of spoke about it a little bit when we were talking off air before we, we started that I just had this feeling deep in my gut as the game was going on, like Buffalo's going to lose. And I, and I didn't even question it. I was just like, they're going to find a way to lose this game. And I'm at the point now where anytime they're in a close game against a good team, I feel that way, which is almost like a death sentence, in my opinion, for them. Like, if I have that feeling internally about you as a team, when you've got a quarterback like Josh Allen, there's something wrong, especially when he actually had an awesome game. So I don't know what Buffalo does next. Um, they could still play their their way into the playoffs, but it's not going to get any easier, especially if they keep losing games. 
No, they're a little bit they're they're a better version of what the Chargers are. Elite quarterback. Defense can be a little bit shaky at times. They're kind of not able, like you said, to to finish the game off. I kind of got that sense too here. Um, I think as much as you can blame Buffalo for that. I mean, consider the circumstance. It is the rain-soaked Philadelphia on the road here. I mean, that's an extremely tough environment to play. And they outplayed him for three quarters. And, you know, the Eagles come back and outscore him 17-7 in the fourth. And that miscommunication there in overtime between Allen and, and Gabe Davis on that all-out blitz the Eagles had on, I think it was third down, and then set up the, the Bass field goal. You're right. The teams that lose the close games have moments like that, whereas Philadelphia doesn't have they Philadelphia a team like Philadelphia doesn't have the miscommunication in the crucial time at the end of the game. I I, I feel terrible for Josh Allen because I thought, you know, he poured his heart and soul out into this game, played pretty much a phenomenal, phenomenal game, except for his interception. It wasn't a great throw there. But legs, arm, everything crazy to think dude i still think buffalo is is a top 10 team in the nfl i still think buffalo maybe is like their best is certainly top five in the afc but you're right they've got a they got an uphill climb to just get into the playoffs you certainly feel like the the difference between their floor and their ceiling might be greater than any other team in, in the yeah. league. like That's when they're way to put it when they're playing at their worst it's ugly and you scratch your head because they do have all these pieces. They are missing like half their defensive starters from the beginning of the year due to injury. So that really doesn't help. I'm really starting to get to the point where I feel like I can't trust Josh Allen. And, and he had this thing where after the jets win, where they won 32 to six, he's, he's saying like, we're back, we're back. I'm back. All this stuff. And then you go out and lose the next week. It's like, dude, oh, dude. Uh-huh. You, just, you just, you just beat the jets. You, that's like, why are you, it's just a mentality thing. And he's 0-6 now in overtime games. He's a wonderful quarterback. And we've done this now. We flip-flopped on him like a few times the last month. I'm not, I'm not like out on him. He played his ass off and he was a big part of the reason why they were in that game. If they have almost any other quarterback in the league, they probably don't even have a chance to win that game. So I'm giving him his flowers, but I'm also saying if they won the game, I would have been surprised. And I'm kind of at that point with him. But like, I'm not putting this loss on him at all. You can't. No, I'm not either. I'm not either. That's not what I know. They, they, they flashed the overtime record and I was surprised to see he hasn't won a game in overtime, but you know, I'm not saying it's, it's on Allen. It's more like um, flashing back to my childhood, right? Boston Red Sox pre 2004. Yes. I know it's another Boston reference, but they had that 86-year World Series curse where it just felt like anytime you were in the playoffs, the curse of the Bambino was going to rear its head around and they were going to find a way to kick themselves in the gut. And that's kind of just how I feel about the Bills in general as a team, where I just don't believe in them getting over the hump, not just at the end of seasons, but in big games now for one reason or another. And it's not on Allen. It's just like a general overhanging like black cloud on, on the team does that make sense yeah that that the way you described it there absolutely makes sense the way you were first starting it i was thinking that you know you were going to kind of put this loss on him i mean yeah he doesn't score the touchdown there in the first the opening drive but you know we talked about some of the miscommunication there with gabe davis I, like 
dude, I mean, he just did everything he possibly could have done for this team to win, responsible for four touchdowns on the road, played nearly flawless. It must suck to be a Buffalo fan. I mean, it it must really suck. I I, I just got to say, because you're – it's like you're good enough where you expect and have really high hopes every year, but it has just come crashing down. It's just come crashing down every year. And the craziest thing is I, I bet – a lot of people still view them as a potential Super Bowl team. I don't anymore. Like, I think they could get to that game, possibly, if everything went their way. But I don't think they could win it. I don't know. It's just It just perplexes me sometime with them. Well, um, look at them as like a Super Bowl team because I think that you, you see what they do against Philadelphia here on the road, like how tightly they hung with Philly, who people are crowning the, as of now, the best team in the NFL – you mentioned how wide the gap is between their floor and their ceiling. Like Buffalo is capable of hanging with everybody, but this year they're also like proving that they can, they can kind of lose to anybody or maybe not anybody, but their, their no, worst it, level of definitely their anybody, wor- their worst level of play is showing up a lot more this year, but like, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't say they're a Super Bowl team, but I don't think anybody in the AFC wants them in the playoffs. Nobody wants no. them in the playoffs. Like no. they're going to take all of the other fringe wildcard teams over Buffalo. So, well, it's, you're right though. They can lose to anybody because they lost to the Patriots mid season on a game winning drive led by Mac Jones. What <laughs> are you kidding? That, that should never happen to any professional football team. I think that's like, Maybe the only time that's ever happened to any professional football team. <laughs> they lost to the Jets in week one when Rodgers snaps his Achilles on the fourth play of the game and, and Zach Wilson ends up delivering the dub. Like, Maybe you're right, honestly. I forgot that they have those two losses yeah. on, their, on their resume. Dude, that is pretty bad. That's what I'm saying. Like, You can hang with a team like the Eagles, but then you can lose to those teams? I can't do it. I I don't see it with them, man. I wouldn't put money on them in any game, especially big ones. No matter how good Josh Allen is, and he's great, there's something wrong there, and I don't know what it is. I I can't put my finger on it. You know what that tells me when you have those large discrepancies and lack of consistency? That's coaching. Yeah, for sure. Because, Because you can't say they're not talented enough. They're clearly talented enough to hang with the Eagles, okay, and with a depleted defense, as you mentioned. The fact that they can't replicate that performance week in and week out, they can't get that same level of intensity, that falls on the coaching staff. We talked about McDermott. That's what that tells me. We Last time we talked about them, we teased that they could have three more losses in a month's time. They just lost one to the Eagles. They've got a bye week this week before they travel to Kansas City, and then they face the Cowboys at home. To me, that's two more losses coming. I think it's more likely – I think the 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 Cowboys game is probably more likely that they win just because it's at home and the Cowboys uh, have struggled in their own way against teams with winning records this year. I still would probably take Dallas, to be honest. Paul, uh, both the playoff races, AFC, NFC, are, are total cluster bomb right now. It's absolutely ridiculous. I've I've no idea who the wild cards are going to be from from either side, with the exception of a couple. So we're going to do 
a little game here, nothing too crazy. We're, we're going to go in and out with some of these playoff teams. Um, I'm just going to name the teams in order of where they are in the conference right now. When I name a team that you don't think is going to make the playoffs, I want you to stop me, okay, if I'm in the top seven. Or if I get past all those, well, theoretically, if it just stop me when you when there's a team that you don't feel great about, essentially. Okay. Well, we'll start with the AFC. Number one seed leading the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens at nine and three. Number two seed, the Kansas City Chiefs leading the AFC West at eight and three. Number three seed, the Jacksonville Jaguars, AFC South leader at eight and three, also. Other division leader, the Miami Dolphins, also at eight and three. They're the four seed. Five seed and the six seed have the same record. The five seed, your Pittsburgh Steelers. All right. Just wanted to make sure you didn't stop your own team. Cool. Uh, I, I think our schedule is easy enough where we're going to get in. I, we might slide down a seed or two, but I, I see 10 wins. We should get, we should be at least three and three, 10 wins will get us in. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, number six, the Cleveland Browns. Stop. Okay. okay. That's, that's what right. I thought. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how serious people take me, obviously, as a Steeler fan saying that I'm worried about the Browns. I I worry about that quarterback play. Um, I think Miles Garrett is supposed to be fine and play, but he was a little bit gimpy. I think a groin injury maybe that he picked up in in that game against Denver. I I just I worry about the quarterback play here. The schedule down the stretch is not the most daunting. But like they don't have the tiebreaker over the Steelers. We'll see how things shake out. Like I could definitely see them losing to the Rams next week after uh, how good how good LA looked uh, with Stafford back. They got the Jags the following week. Me too. I think it, uh, what's the line at least a discussion game? should be had about them. Yeah, yeah they uh, they do face the Rams this week. I could see them. I could also see them losing that game. Their next six games. I mean, okay. Do you think so? You think if the Steelers make it to ten wins, they're in, right? Right. You and the 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 Steelers and the Browns have the same record. They're both seven and four. Would you also say the same about the Browns if they make that ten win threshold? They're in. Probably, but they don't have the tiebreaker over Pittsburgh right now. So if it can't, so like that's a big factor there as well that I'm considering. Um, I've got them losing at least three more. I've got them losing to the Rams, Jags, and Texans. Right. That's kind of what I had as well. Yeah. And then you think they can go three and three down the stretch? It's possible. I I think, I think with how shaky the quarterback play looks, um, I think two and four is a little bit more realistic in there. I I think the Bears defense looked really good. We kind of, we haven't, we didn't really talk about that game against Minnesota, but the Bears were flying. Like I could see them stealing that one um josh dobbs was also terrible though like really horrendously bad whoever i could see the quarterback situation in cleveland isn't great but he was worse than almost any other quarterback on the field this week with the exception of a few yeah but cleveland might be resorting to starting joe flacco this week like that's where that's where they are on on their quarterback well they don't play the bears next week though that's like two and a half weeks from now I know. I was more just saying that in terms of that's like that's what their quarterback room looks like. Like that's how right. that's how uncertain things are there. Um, the way injuries. I see it, they have to beat the Bears, Jets, and Bengals, right? Right. Like that. That's their easiest path. 
beat those teams, I think, I think that will be enough to get them in. But like I said, because the Steelers have the tiebreaker here, 10 wins, like 10 wins for the Steelers is more valuable than 10 wins for the Browns. Now it all depends on like who the Steelers beat down the stretch just because of, you know, conference record and, and everything like that being the tiebreaker. But that's, that's factoring into my decision at this time. Our next team, the seventh seed in the AFC currently, the Indianapolis Colts with a six and five record. Before you say anything, or whether you choose not to, you're not. So I'm. No. Well, no, you told me you told me not to say anything, and so I was waiting for you to say something. But I definitely would would have a stop here in front of the Colts. They did lose think. JT for what two three weeks, right? Yeah, two to three. They play the Titans, Bengals, your Steelers, the Falcons, Raiders, and Texans. So that's like two probable losses, although I could see them playing either of those games tough. And then they beat the Texans earlier in the year. Uh, They did have Anthony Richardson in that game, if I'm not mistaken, though. Yes, I believe that they did. To preface, you said that like if there's if there's not a guarantee that this team will make it, like we need we need to talk about them, right? Right. So the Colts, I think I like the Colts more than the Browns, despite the fact that they're a game back. I do too. Um, I do too. But but we'll see. It's a road divisional game coming up this week at Tennessee. I never chalk those up as automatic wins. I got them losing to Houston later in the year. That's a team that's going to be battling with them for one of those last playoff spots. I like Gardner Minshew. Don't get me wrong. I just, I I got a tough time believing that when the dust all settles, that Gardner Minshew will have led the Indianapolis Colts to a playoff spot. I, I know that's really going to look like a slight and a knock on him, but I just, I just can't quite get there. I don't think it's that much of a knock. That's, that's the thing holding me back with them as well. I mean, you look at the teams behind them in the standings, the Texans, Broncos, Bills, all three of those teams have better quarterbacks than them. Um, mm-hmm. And they've got the same record as the Texans and Broncos, but they don't really have many tough games and they keep proving me wrong. Now, Taylor going out is going to hurt them, but Zach Moss wasn't a slouch by any means filling into that role earlier in the year. Um, but they have performed much better since Taylor has been back and healthy. They've won their last three in a row. So uh, that could be a difference maker. Um, The Texans are the eighth seed. I'm going to say, well, obviously, so if we're talking about any team right now, obviously there's doubt that they'd make it. But I I have Houston still getting in. I I do. I I trust the quarterback, right? C.J. Stroud, I got faith that he is going to lead this team to a playoff spot. I just think he he's been that good. He's shown the clutch gene throughout the season. Tough loss last week, but I got I got faith that Houston. I think Houston's going to beat Indianapolis at the end of the year, and so you know they control their own destiny in that sense. Uh, let's take a look. I know that Houston plays Denver this upcoming week, so that's a huge game right there, and it's it's in Houston. I'm going to give the Texans. I think I'm going to give the Texans a slight edge in that one. I don't know who else they they play on their schedule. So after that, listen to this. They got Jets, Titans. Now, both are road games, but I think on paper you're thinking two wins, right? 
Then they're home to Cleveland, which I'm chalking that up as a win because of what Cleveland's playoff picture looks like. Then they're home to Tennessee. I think we would say that's a win. And then they're at Indianapolis. Like they could win all six. Yeah. They won't win all six, but I I think it shapes up for pretty well for them to go four and two line up at 10 and seven. So I I like, I like kind of how their schedule shakes out. I, I got the Texans jump in Indianapolis. Well, the, the thing really that I'm looking at is with all these teams, any team in Indianapolis or below, you're going to have to go better than 500 really to to get into the playoffs from here on out. So Indy, I could see being 500. Houston, I could see being like four and two, five and one, maybe even three and three. That's the team that I think is like the swing team. Denver is the next one. Denver, again, has the same record as, as Indy and Houston. Uh, Texans on the road, Chargers on the road, Lions on the road, and then they finish with Pats, Chargers at home, and then Raiders on the road. I don't know how to feel about them. I just kind of like how we were saying earlier, I I could see them winning or losing against anybody, sort of like how I could see with the Bills. Yeah, I, I'm going to say the Broncos are going to just miss and – I like what they what they're doing. And like I said, I think that they've done a great job of turning their season around after that embarrassing game at Miami. But I just so I just chalked the the Texans game up as a loss for them. And they're on the road. I know the Chargers kind of stink right now, but that's a divisional game. I see them like at least splitting that matchup. That Lions game is tough in Detroit. So right off the bat, those are three losses right there, which would put them at eight for the year. And then like, that's also assuming that they go on the road and beat another divisional opponent in Las Vegas. The Pats game should be a win. You could see I, them just, going anywhere from two and four to four and two basically. Yeah. But, and, and I think that the, the worst end of that spectrum is more likely than the higher end, you know? So that that's just kind of how I look at them too. This will be a huge pivotal game between Denver and Houston coming up this week. The one thing I will say though, is They've won five straight, and all four of their last wins are against teams that would be in the playoffs right now. Chiefs, Bill, uh, well, three of them. Bills Chiefs, or not. Chiefs, Bills, Vikings, Browns. If I could poke holes in that, though. Yes. Quar- quarterback issues in quarterback issues in Cleveland. Dobbs was better in the game against Minnesota. But, but terrible in the second half. Yeah, so we don't like, you know, that's kind of a team with an unproven quarterback there too. The Bills wins impressive. And then the Chiefs game was the flu at, game. was the flu game. And also three of the four games that you just mentioned were at home. They've only won one game on the road this year. Yeah. That was, no, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. They beat the Bears on the road. Um, I think that they've only beaten one team with a, a, a winning record or better on the road. And that was that Buffalo win. They have a lot of uh, road games coming up. Their next three games are on the road, Texans, Chargers, Lions, and then that final game of the year against the Raiders on the road. So four of the remaining six are on the road. I think that also plays a factor. So our our last team right now in the 10 spot is, is the Bills. They're six and six. They only have five games left, which is already a disadvantage to them. And their next two are against the Chiefs and Cowboys. I don't really think they can afford to go three and two over the last five weeks. They've, we're kind of saying that like nine wins is the number you got to get to, if not 10. And I don't know if they can get there. Probably you need 10 
And now let's keep in mind they have one less game to do it too because they're on bye this week. So let's look at their schedule. I got Chiefs as a loss. I got Bills as – or excuse me, I got the Cowboys game as a win. So I got them splitting that. I got them beating the Chargers. I got them beating the Pats. And then I got them beating the Dolphins. I know that that's crazy. So I got them going four and one down the stretch. And my bold hot take is that that they will find a way to overtake the Cleveland Browns and they will get in the playoffs. Texans and Bills jump Browns and Colts after I look at the schedules and the standings here and get in the playoffs. Let me have it. Let me have it if you don't agree. Well, you're counting on them beating Dallas. Which I don't, I don't think you can count on. I, I think Dallas is going to win that game. I think Buffalo has been too inconsistent of a team. And again, I go back to me just not believing they can win that big game. I would have the 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 opposite result of that. Well, but my counterpoint to that would be it. So they just went on the road in hostile conditions and poor weather, and took Philadelphia to overtime. Team, yeah, but they lost. Uh, uh, yeah, they lost. But I mean, Philadelphia beat Dallas too. Like, I think you'd say that Philadelphia is the better team than Dallas is. So if they can do that on the road against Philly, I, I mean, I kind of look at it as they can, they can then beat Dallas at home. I, I mean, yes, Philly beat Dallas, but it was a really similar game. Like it came down to the last, last part of the game. Dallas had a chance to win. It, it came down to that like fourth and really long for, for Dak and that was why it didn't work out. I, I would actually, I could see Dallas winning that game and I could see Dallas beating Philly later in the year. I, I could too, but let me, I'm sorry. Let me stop you on, on this one here. Cause I like this discussion. I, do you look at, do you look at Philly and Dallas as equal teams? Answer me that question first. You said Philly and Dallas. Yeah. Are they, are they equal? Just no, about. No, I think Philly is slightly better, but not by much. Okay. Okay. Now let me ask you this question. If the game over the weekend between the Bills and Eagles, if that's in Orchard Park in Buffalo, does Buffalo win? No, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, not at all. Really? No, I don't. Uh, I think I, I, I think Philly would have beat them either way. Mm, I, I I disagree with that point. But what I was trying to get at is that you you think that Philly and Dallas aren't equal, which I don't I don't think either. I think Philly's better than Dallas, maybe not by a huge margin. And I think that this game was legitimately such a coin flip between the Bills and Eagles that if it was at home, I think Buffalo would have pulled it out, which is what I was trying to get at, that if they could beat a a team that we acknowledge to be better than the Cowboys at home, if they can play to that level, that they can then actually beat the Cowboys later in the year. I, I think that I think if this game's in Orchard Park that Buffalo wins, but agree to disagree there. You you're they're going to need to win one of either the Chiefs or Cowboys game to have a shot. If they lose both those sure. games, they're done. They're done. They can only afford one more. I, I think that they can only afford one more loss the rest of the year. They can't get in at nine and eight. Because I don't think that they're looking good on tiebreakers either. Probably not. Um yeah. if I was gonna pick my seven at the end of the year, I I feel like Cleveland's defense is good enough to where they'll be able to sneak into the seven spot. I understand their their issues at quarterback are pretty glaring (laughs) pretty glaring but i their defense has been winning them games all year and i I don't see any reason why it'll stop i believe in cleveland's defense more than i do in buffalo's ability to go four and one down the stretch has buffalo even had a stretch all year where they've gone 
four and one or even like three and one? Probably not. I, I mean, I can look Probably at not. look it's at six it. Six and six. Hey, they went, but they went three as, and one in the first four weeks of the season. That's that's been it. As Juju Smith Schuster once so eloquently put it, the Browns is the Browns. The Browns will find a way to screw it up. Trust me. Trust me. I would have. I think you're right on the Texans. Still, I I believe in them. I would have them in the six spot. So you got Brown six, or excuse me, Texans six, Brown seven. Yeah. And I, I might even lean more towards the Colts having that. I would say it's close to a toss up between the Browns and Colts. I just, I don't think Buffalo can go four and one down the stretch. I think the math works against them more than any other team ahead of them. I don't know. I don't see it working out for them. Talent wise, so they're, they're better. They're better than those teams. But we're not talking about talent. We're talking about what what can they do over the next six weeks. And I, I just think it's a harder road for them than any of the other teams. Maybe. So we're definitively ruling out Denver, it seems like. That's a team that we haven't we haven't talked about much. I wouldn't rule them out. I think they're on the outside looking in. And if they win another game or two, then if they win another if they win this this week, this coming week, um if they can beat the Texans, then I mean, that's pretty much a, a battle for a playoff spot, right? That's going to decide a tiebreaker later in the year. At least it could. If they well, can sure. Win- I mean, if we can look into the future, this this discussion would be a lot easier. But I got the Texans winning that one personally. I, I do too. Um, and I don't think the, the Broncos should be there. I've just – I've learned enough about them the last five weeks that I feel like I can't discount them. Um, so I wouldn't say they're out. I think all 10 of these teams, all of those wildcard teams have a shot – I would say the Broncos shot to get into the playoffs is their path is slightly easier than, than the bills, but not by much. Fair that's enough. How, fair that's enough. how I would put it. That's um, pretty comprehensive review. Should we roll over to the NFC now? Absolutely. Uh, NFC. I think the, the top two Eagles and, and Niners, we can both agree aren't, aren't going anywhere. No. Yeah. Keep going. You think there's any chance the Cowboys could flip with the Eagles and and take the division away? Nah, not being two games back. They they, they might win that game at the end of the year, but um, two game deficits going to be too much. Detroit Lions, they're the three seed at eight and three. The Vikings behind them in their division by two games at six and six. All right, so I'd say stop here. Um, Minnesota, I now I I was extremely high on Minnesota, as a lot of people know by listening to the podcast before I saw what went down Monday night against a four and eight Bears team. Yeah, yikes. Um, I question, I mean, uh, Kevin O'Connell, who I praised as well, Minnesota had a questionable decision to go for it too around midfield. I think it was a fourth and six. Now, granted, I think they had the right play call dialed up for that. Dobbs just threw that ball behind Hawkinson. If he leads them towards the boundary on that, Hawkinson's going to be able to run with it for a few more yards and pick that up. But yeah, I mean, and then they lose by a field goal there. So you're, you're talking about that, the difference. Um, that's the difference in the game. I think Bears at least got a field goal on their end with the short field. So Minnesota's definitely got a question mark at quarterback here. NFC after you get up through those top teams, just kind of weak. The NFC is way harder, I think, to predict than the AFC. And Minnesota has a lot to do with that. Um, 
They've only scored. I think it's harder for like a different reason. I think it's harder because like once you get to the wild card teams, there's fewer, there's fewer quality teams. So it's like who's gonna back their way in? That's it. I look at this discussion. Um, I'll say Minnesota. I'll say Minnesota. Let me look at their schedule. I'm inclined to say that they miss. They just need either really one of three NFC South teams, the Packers or the Rams, to to be two games better than them down the stretch. I think for them, their and- crucial game – their crucial game will be against the Raiders on the road. They they're on Minnesota's on by this week. So that would be the following week. This game against the Raiders on the road, I think is what's going to determine their season. Cause if they can pull that one out, I actually see them potentially splitting with the lions and winning one of two at a minimum between Packers and Bengals, uh, just the Packers game being at home and with how bad the Bengals look. And that can get them to what nine, maybe ten wins there. However, I, I don't quite see it happening with how Dobbs looked. I'm going to say that they just miss. It's tough for me to say how much I praised O'Connell this year. I would say, I think I have them beating the Raiders and Bengals, but I kind of I think the Packers could beat them based on how I saw Jordan Love perform last week and how I saw Josh Dobbs perform last week. I mean, that uh, he, he had four picks. He could have had five, and he had two fumbles, too, I think. Like, yeah, he, he was bad. I mean, there's no there's no way around it. I'm just looking at that game in terms of like a, div, a home divisional game. Just those are, those are always the toughest to win. But Love, Love right. is looking great. His stats are, you sent me the, the, you sent me the statistic earlier in the week that his stats are basically identical through his first 11 starts here to, to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Seattle Seahawks, they're the six seed. They're at six and five. This is another one, man. I don't know. I I, I don't know with how Gino has looked lately. See, the tough like, like you mentioned, the toughest thing is who the hell is gonna overtake them? Who from behind them is gonna be better than them at the end of the year? You know um, who they play their next three games, though? Cowboys, Niners, Eagles. That's three losses. And oh, I have them three. I have them losing oh, to your Steelers, too. Yeah, that one's up in the air. Steelers always kind of struggle when they go into Seattle, we'll, and we'll see what those teams look like. Uh, I, think, I think the Steelers' defense weeks. is going to eat Geno alive. So there's four losses right there. What's Seattle right now? Six and five. That yeah. would put that 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 give them nine losses. That put them at eight and nine at the at the best. But you so might only can't. have to be eight and nine to make it in. I think things are going to shake out where you're going to have to at least get nine wins to get in in the NFC. I mean, I think, I think it has to be. Okay, let's say it seems like you and I both think Minnesota could will probably overtake Seattle, right? No, I do not. I think I just said I think Minnesota's sliding out. So you think six both six. you think the six and seventh seed right now and the NFC are both going to slide out? I do, I do. Right. Well, okay. Well, right now the Atlanta Falcons are the four seed because they are currently the division leaders in the NFC South. Do you have this them is tough? I got, I have my two teams. I think are going to, that I think are going to slide in. Okay. I I feel like if I you, know where you're going with this. Actually. One of them is a team that you've praised on, on a, uh, on prior episodes of the podcast. Are you, 
talking are you referencing a team in the bayou no you're, so you're referencing the los angeles rams then aren't you? i sure am I okay sure that's sure kind of, that's kind of where i thought you were going with that actually um all right let's hear it i i don't hate that discussion they're at the nine seed right now they're five and six they're um for all intensive purposes they are two wins away uh to minnesota's they're five and six. The Vikings are six and six. That's the team they got to leapfrog. But they're also behind the Packers. And if I'm not mistaken, they lost to the Packers earlier in the year. So Green Bay actually they has did. the tiebreaker over them. Correct. Correct on that. But Seattle's a team that's sitting in front of them, and they're a game back of them with the tiebreaker. They've swept that season series. So that bodes extremely well for Los Angeles. Um, I just look at how they looked in that game against Arizona last week. I granted the Cardinals are the Cardinals, um, but I mean, they got Kyler Murray back. So a little bit of a feather in the cap there for LA uh, with how they made that offense. Look, I got them. I got the win next week against the Browns going to be a tough game against the uh, Ravens the following week, but then I like their chances at home against the commanders. I subsequently like their chances at home against the saints who have been up and down. We talked about them in the NFC at just five and six. Then they got the Giants on the road. Like I could see them winning four of their next five with a tiebreaker over Seattle, a team that they need to leapfrog. I think that that bodes well for them. Um, They do have the Ravens and the Niners on the schedule. So I think four and two is probably pretty realistic for them. But considering they got that tiebreaker over Seattle and um, kind of Seattle's tough schedule, I got them leapfrogging them. And then the uncertainties in Minnesota that I just mentioned, I think the Rams can slide in here. I definitely have them winning against the Browns, Commanders, and Giants. Ravens, Niners, those are losses. The toss-up game for me is that game against New Orleans, actually. Uh, yeah, that is that is the – well, I mean, the Browns game, too, because of how good the Browns' defense is. But I feel like McVay is going to find a way to to exploit whatever holes may be in that and that defense. I I feel like also I don't know if I feel like I believe in LA's ability to put up points even against that vaunted defense more so than I believe in the Browns being able to put up points kind of in general against anybody. I think I think when the Browns face other teams, they're going to be able to use their defense and, and it will win them those games, but the way that Williams looked, Kyron Williams looked coming off IR and and Stafford threw for four tutties like Cup and Nakua didn't even do anything really. That's the scary part to me is that they didn't even really use their two best skill players. Um I think there's an argument for LA there, for sure. I could see them winning four out of their next six games. That would put them at mm-hmm. Nine and nine and uh nine, nine and, eight. and eight. Yeah. Nine and eight. I, I think that they need to they need to get one of two between that Browns Saints. If they can do that, they can get one of those two games between either the Browns or the Saints. Um they're gonna be they're gonna be looking good. I, th- I think that'll be enough. I think though that I would say the Packers have a better shot though of of making it happen than them because that was my second, that was my other team that I have slide in. And that was also kind of where I thought you were going because with the exception of their next game at home against the chiefs, they face. It's a good schedule. It they is. face four teams near the bottom of the NFL, the, the giants, the bucks, 
the Panthers and the Bears, and they have a, a road divisional game against the Vikings as well, which I think they could actually win. I can't believe I'm saying this considering I took – wow. I had Matt LaFleur as one of my first head coaches fired in our draft we did a couple of weeks ago, and I'm about to say I could see them going 5-1 and one down the stretch here. <laughs> I think you I think you got to give LaFleur a little bit of credit like with how Jordan Love has turned things around in the past few weeks he's, he's been great man he's thrown I think five touchdowns no picks in the last two weeks eight touchdowns two picks over the last four three of those four weeks he's had a QBR over 100 I mean yeah LaFleur is I think the jury's out on him to a degree still and I think a lot of people uh, are reluctant to give him credit just because he did walk into a team with Aaron Rodgers but with how love is kind of turning that season around, man, um, I, I I have to give Lafleur a little bit of credit. He was not on my coaching firing draft, so so I'm I'm completely fine throwing him a little bit of love. Get it? Get what I did there, so to speak. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I got I got the Packers maybe only losing one more game the rest of the way. All right, two so, at the most. Two at the most. So I will. Let's say the Packers are our sixth seed. Okay. Okay, I, I, I'll I take that. So then we're basically saying, do we think one of either the Falcons, Saints, or maybe the Buccaneers with an outside chance? Do, uh, at a, at a wild rings. card? At yeah. a wild card, no. I The NFC, NFC South is going to get just one team in, and it's, it'll be the division winner. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at it like the Bucks play the Panthers twice in the next six games. So that's two wins. I don't even I'm I'm dead serious. I'm not giving them two wins there. Uh, Carolina is going through a coaching change now. We'll see. If yeah. We a little bit in, yeah. A new maybe. Life. Maybe this it, is the week int- Carolina gets here, a win. Interesting stat for you here. I know it's maybe a slightly. And I don't know exactly how many teams have fired their offensive coordinator, but I did hear this on Pittsburgh Sports Radio. Every team that has fired their offensive coordinator this year has turned around in one following week. And now that I'm thinking about it, the Steelers might be the only team to have done that. But um, you saw the Raiders come out with a jolt after they fired McDaniels. No, the, the Bills won. The Bills won after they fired. Oh, that's right. The, uh, Bill, the Bills won after their OC. I know McDaniels is calling the plays. Steelers win after they fire their OC. I believe Frank Reich is in charge of calling plays there in Carolina. So yes, interesting little correlation there. I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina actually comes out and pulls off an upset this week, just considering that they might have a little bit of new life, new energy. It's, I guess I, that's my bold prediction of the week. I thought about that. Um, I was thinking about that yesterday, some, and even some today. You kind of have to think if there was any week that the Panthers were going to pull something out and change momentum around, it would be this one. Um, Yeah, I, I think Bucks are out. I think you're right. Um, The Saints and the Falcons. Those are the teams you got to look at. Because I think – I guess we're both out on the Bucks winning that division as well, right? Yeah. So yeah. – the Saints Baker Baker's dealing with an ankle injury too, right? Like he might be good to go, but I know he's, he's getting an MRI. I feel like Baker's always dealing with some kind of injury and playing through it. I, what else is now? Yeah, um, I guess. Falcons Saints. Falcons won the first matchup uh, against the Saints 24 15. The 
Falcons have the Jets, Buccaneers, Panthers, Colts, Bears, and Saints again. So you think? I don't know, man. These teams that's so suck. tough. Yeah, <laughs> this is like this has got to uh, be the worst division in all of professional sports in America, right? Like baseball, well, yeah. hockey, and basketball included. This might be the worst. Yeah, people are talking about how bad the NL Central was in baseball, or the AL Central was, I guess, worse. AL I, Central was pretty crappy this year, too. At least but, they had teams with winning records, though. Yeah, at least the Twins were were solid. Kind of gave the Astros somewhat of a series. Um, I don't know. I think schedule favors Atlanta a little bit. I think talent and quarterback favors New Orleans. Wait, did you also, say quarterback? Have you seen Derek Carr's red zone numbers? He's Dude, got the come on. he's got the third worst completion percentage of like oh. any quarterback with twenty more attempts in the red zone. That's worse than Mac Jones, Jimmy Garoppolo, Bryce Young, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. He sucks. I hate Dude, I'll take him. I'll take Derek Carr. Bro, you were just talking up the Saints a couple weeks ago. Not Derek Carr though. I was talking up anybody but him. Oh, that's right. You were comparing Taysom Hill to Tim Riggins. I forgot. He well, should dude, be. I'll, he should be taking snaps. Hill should be dude, taking I, more snaps. Well, Derek Carr has at least taken a team to the playoffs. He did it two years ago with the Raiders. Yeah, I think he's better than Desmond Ritter and the combination of Ritter and Hyatt. <laughs> All right, yeah. you you have a point there. You have a point there. I just, I Jason's gonna have a comment about this. I can guarantee that for sure they have the advantage over atlanta as far as quarterbacks go but i wouldn't say that the saints have a, a general advantage with with Carr as their quarterback they were over well, five I'm only compare it i'm only comparing them to atlanta i mean That's i'm fair. not saying yeah i'm not saying compared to all other teams or even like is uh, car i'm not even saying cars better than the average i'm just saying they have the edge to atlanta in quarterback and talent the only thing that has upset me more than watching mac jones as a starting quarterback this year has been watching time and time again, the saints trot out Derek Carr in the red zone where they just have Taysom Hill sitting there <laughs> and Kamara. I just don't, never mind. I, okay. So if you want to, Hey, I'm advocating for Jameis Winston, I, Jameis Winston, get him in there. But oh. <laughs> did, did you see the, the video of him trying to hype up car on the sidelines when he was like rapping to him? And cars just trying yes, to do yes, anything but pay attention to him. <laughs> yeah, I, dude, I, I mean, it's got to be hilarious having Jameis as a teammate. But when you're actually like in the thick of an NFL game, dude, and you're trying to focus on pulling out a W, it's like, just get this guy away from me. <laughs> it's like Derek Carr just threw a pick six in the red zone. And now he has to deal with Jameis Williams j- <laughs> rapping yeah. to him on the sideline. <laughs> oh, my God. I can only imagine how that Ooh. rap would go. I'm okay. I'm fine. Goodness gracious. He's probably just rapping about like crab legs and not implicating himself. (laughs) Oh man. All right. I'm getting it together. Oh, all right. So back to reality. (laughs) What do do we have? We've got, we've got Eagles, Niners, Cowboys, Lions for sure. And then um, what does that get me to? We had, we had, uh, I guess the saints is, I, I guess the Saints, and then I think we were pretty confident we'd like Packers and Rams sliding in, yeah. and that's our NFC playoff picture. I guess so. Man, that would be kind of interesting. Packers, Lions, possibly as a – that could be a 
fun 6-3 game, actually, now that I think about it. Could be. We've already seen the Packers can beat them. So I'm rooting. Wouldn't that wouldn't that be something, man? That would be tough for Detroit. Like maybe we are diving in too much into recency bias, but wouldn't that be a hell of a blow that after how good Detroit has looked this season? Green Bay's quarterback comes along and they've got just the next next guy in line who next guy in line in that dominant quarterback tree that Green Bay's had, and Green Bay still beats him in the playoffs. That would just be so detrimental to that fan base in Detroit. I'm not ready to call love dominant, not by any stretch, but I, I think it's a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical. Maybe it's maybe a little too much of a hypothetical. I know the stats are similar with him and Rodgers. I just I need to see a little more success first. It's been a great start um, for him leading the offense through 11 games. There, there were some struggles there earlier in the year, but he's definitely turned it around recently. It's just going to be a matter of whether they can keep it going. Um, okay. Interesting. I'm with it. I'm with it. I like that top seven for both sides. Moving on to fantasy football. Um it was. It felt good to not have as many bye weeks this week. It felt great to not have to worry about finding some like random, random running back or receiver to throw in as a flex play for the week when when I definitely did not um, want to have to deal with that. We had every team playing this week. No bye weeks. Not going to be the same next week. That could be a big factor for some teams in, in playoffs. Are looking to clinch a playoff berth, having to to find a replacement for somebody in week 13. Uh, I know I'm going to have to do that with a couple of guys, though. I feel great about my playoff chances. Um, we're going to follow a similar structure to, to, to what we did last week. We're going to give out a couple of awards um, for the week. I'm going to start with uh, with your guy, Polly, the man yes, himself, Pat. Fryermuth is going to be this week's Elvis Impersonator Award. Uh, the name for this um, award is, is is pretty simple. It's an homage to Elvis impersonators everywhere. Basically, we're giving this out to a guy doing an impression of a great fantasy player, whether it's someone he's filling in for on, on his team that's hurt, or maybe a guy from another team. Uh, Pat Fryermuth last week had 18 and a half points as a fantasy tight end in, in standard leagues. Uh, more than Jason Kelsey, who I thought he was impersonating. Um, Travis Kelsey. Travis everybody, Kelsey. Everybody had more fantasy points than Jason Kelsey this week and pretty much every week. <laughs> Travis Kelsey, not Jason. Wrong Kelsey brother there. Sorry, Taylor Swift, if you're listening. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, nine receptions for 120 yards on 11 targets. No touchdowns, but it didn't matter. Yeah, baby. Outperformed Kelsey on the day. He is this week's. Elvis Impersonator Award winner. I thank you, ma'am. I thank you very much. Very nice Elvis impression, Patrick. Very nice. Yeah, man, you could have uh, you could have had a couple different awards to give Frymuth this week. You could have given him a Back from the Dead award. I mean, he's like he like quadrupled his complete season output in this game. I talked about how the Steelers used him over the middle. Awesome to see. Uh, Travis Kelsey hasn't been. Certainly has been good this year, but his fantasy output as of the past couple of weeks hasn't been like eye popping. It's it's just been like pretty good and, and by tight end standard, very good, but by Kelsey standards, not so much. Chiefs have looked eh, a little bit shaky the, the past couple of weeks at times. Great to see as a Steeler fan, man. So Frymouth well-deserving for this award. 
Uh, but I'm more excited as a Steeler fan than I am a fantasy owner. Congratulations to Mr. Fryermuth and Elvis fans everywhere. Um, Probably going to be a hot waiver wire pickup too. I think a lot of people have dumped him because he was spent so much time on the IR with that hamstring injury. So see if you can scoop him up in your leagues. Tight end, not exactly a deep position either by any mm-hmm. means. The you let the whole team down award. This is a, an award. Uh, I feel like it's pretty obvious, but we give the award out to uh, for, I should say. <clears throat> The You Let the Whole Team Down Award. Uh, we give this to a disappointing performance from a player or players. We're actually giving it to two this week. I'm going to go with Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. A couple guys I mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast. Both had pretty abysmal fantasy showings in a day where their offense actually did pretty well. I think actually uh, one guy in, in, in my league, uh, Colin McCulloch, Colin, if you're listening, hate to call you out here, buddy, but you had Puka and uh, Cooper in your starting lineup, and you suffered a loss. Not necessarily because these two didn't have great days, but it certainly didn't help. Uh, he only had 14, 4.7 uh, points last week, Puka, whereas Cooper had, I think, didn't have much more than that, if any. Cooper had 3.3. Three catches for 18 yards. Yeah, 3.3. So a combined seven, less than 10 points for both of them. Quick mass there. My apologies. Uh, a combined eight points total between the two, two uh, the number one and two receivers on the Rams depth chart. Not a great day for either of them. Uh, both these guys rostered in more than 90% of leagues, probably started in about that many as well. So I'm sure there were several fantasy managers who were left scratching their heads at their um, – non-factor showings but the other one uh, the other you let the whole team down award today is actually going to go out to adam Thielen. uh adam Thielen didn't even register a whole point for the panthers he had 0.7 overall uh on the day he had <laughs> he had one reception for two yards on three targets so bryce young wasn't even looking his direction tough day for Thielen. tough day for Thielen managers maybe even more tough for for those guys and the ones who were managing Cup or Nakua. But if you had both Cup and Nakua in your starting lineup, boy, do I feel bad for you. Yeah, uh, you put it pretty pretty perfectly. Uh, Cooper Cup's the guy I really want to talk about more than Nakua because I think Nakua has been a little bit more consistent throughout the year. And I actually think I saw a stat earlier today that he's received at least seven targets in every game, only receiver uh, to do that. Um, I believe that that is correct. I'll have to double fact check that because that – a little bit difficult to believe, but Tyreek Hill, um, the Tyreek Hill hasn't reached the seven target mark in uh, one game this year, but uh, been a difficult stretch for fantasy managers and Cooper Cup, obviously starting the year on IR, hasn't reached double digits since I think week six. Uh, he came back week five, had two really nice Cooper Cup-esque games coming right back from injury that hasn't reached double digits since then, man. it's uh, It's been a tough little stretch. And then Adam Thielen, you make a good point there, too. It's like just the inconsistency of that Panthers offense. He's a guy who was balling out in the the early portion of the year, looking like one of the late round steals of this season. And then he's kind of reverted over the past couple of weeks back to what people thought he would be going into this season. Moving on to our next award, we've got the Put Me In Coach Award. Um, This one also pretty similar. We're giving a a shout out with this award to – 
players who are not rostered in most leagues. So for me, the line of demarcation is that 50% rostered statistic you see on the ESPN app. Anything below that, uh, you have a good day. You, you get in consideration for this award for me. But you could theoretically uh, be mentioned if, if you go above that number, possibly. Uh, I'm going to start with an honorable mention first, and, and this is a guy I possibly could even start with if I really wanted to. He's a former player of mine in, in several leagues this year, and he's not of a position that you would normally put importance on. We're going to go with Blake Group. Groupie? Group? Groupie. 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 Yeah, like, a, like a groupie for a band. Okay. Well, consider myself a groupie, Sir Blake, after your performance this past weekend. I, I got to pick you back up on my team. 19 points as a kicker now ranked as the sixth kicker in fantasy leagues this year. He had, I think five uh, made kicks for the saints in that game. And by God, yeah, I, I dropped him last week. And, and when I saw that number, I was really worried. I was, I was going to, um, I was going to regret it. And, and I ended up not uh, quite as much as, as I would have had I lost, but man, Blake groupie, have yourself a day kid with the with the leg sure is man yeah uh, well if i could say one thing about groupie because i actually kind of like him the best out of the put me in coach awards even though he is a kicker i think it's kind of hilarious that we have it for a kicker i looked at his remaining schedule not that like schedules play a huge role in kickers but obviously new orleans he kicks in a dome the next three games are at home so he'll be kicking inside for all three of those games then he gets to play at LA, which is like also basically inside, but however they do that retractable roof thing out there, but it's LA anyway. Then he's at Tampa Bay, warm weather, and then he's home again against Atlanta. Like he won't kick in another tough weather condition, theoretically, the rest of the year. Just kind of interesting when you look at groupie, if you uh, do have an opportunity to pick him up off the waiver wire in your leagues. Well, you should have an opportunity to pick him up because right now he's only rostered in 3.4% of leagues. So the odds are in your favor that he's out there. Go look him up. Um, that That's our, our honorable mention when our next two guys, um, way more players, way more fantasy players would be familiar with them. Uh, Chuba Hubbard for me is our next guy for the put me in coach award. Chuba only rostered in 48.6% of leagues going into this year with the Panthers. He was supposed to be the running back number two behind Miles Sanders. Obviously, that hasn't worked out very well in Carolina. Uh, don't need to spend much time talking about the Panthers. But uh, this past week, Chuba had... Love you, Sprinks. <laughs> we do love you, Mr. Sprinkle. Um, Chuba had five five receptions for 47 yards, and then he also tacked on 45 yards on the ground with a running touchdown. His highest fantasy points performance of the year with 17.7 and he was a good play, I'm sure, for for whatever managers may or may not have had him uh, in their starting lineup. He was only started by 13.6% of managers. So uh, uh, a rare play this past week, but a solid one for anybody who used him. Yeah, absolutely, man. Good call there. Um, I'll let you get into your next Put Me In Coach Award because I kind of like that one better. But not a bad call there with Chuba Hubbard. Um, Miles Sanders has still been involved in the offense, but – you're right. I mean, I'm sure that not a lot of fantasy teams were drafting Hubbard high, certainly weren't drafting him high. Maybe you were stashing him on your bench on draft day. I'm sure a lot of teams are just picking him up, as you've alluded to. There's still over half of ESPN fantasy leagues that haven't picked him up there. And, um, you know, without with 
how the injuries go at the end of the season. He's a he's kind of a valuable guy to at least have in a stash. He's capable. It's good to know someone like that, even on a bad offense, is capable of a game like that. So good call there. But I do like your other uh, award here for put me in coach. With that being said, without further ado, our number one winner of the put me in coach award for this week. None other than Jordan Love, a guy we've talked a lot about on the podcast, man. He's the 10th ranked quarterback in in our league right now. He's rostered by only 48% of players, uh, averaging 18.2 points a week. He's got five booms on the year as opposed to one bust. And yet this past week, he had one hell of a game, man. Um, 268 yards through the air, three touchdowns, three carries for 39 yards, 26.62 fantasy points. You, you can't knock that stat line helped out a lot of guys. I'm sure uh, win games that used him. He was only started by 18.5% of managers. So those guys are, I'm thinking are people who maybe had an injury to their starter and just had to throw him in there. Um, I'm thinking guys who maybe had Joe Burrow to start the year or somewhere along those lines. So he came through in the clutch. I, I hope for some people this week, not necessarily for me, but with his performance last week, Jordan Love has now cracked 200 fantasy points in the season. Congratulations, Jordan Love, for collecting $200 pass and go on the Monopoly board. boy, And congratulations for winning the Put Me In Coach Award of the week for week number 12. Monumental, monumental. Congratulations to Jordan Love on the 200-point mark in fantasy. I'm sure that he is celebrating with family and friends for that momentous occasion. Um Kind of looking at him seriously, though, he's the QB 11 in our, our league. So, I mean, you know, in 12-man leagues, he's a QB 1. Uh, anyway, you slice it there. Um, he's out there in one or two leagues. I'm actually looking at not our league right now, but I'm looking at a different league that I'm involved in. And he is the top-rated quarterback on the waiver wire. Pretty crazy. I don't know if everybody would know off the top of their head that he's basically a fringe top 10 fantasy quarterback this year. It's been buoyed a little bit by his stats the past couple of weeks, but – you know, we talked about his growth and development. I think that you can expect to see somewhat of that somewhat continue over the final stretch. And yeah, if you've had an injury to a quarterback, as we've seen a lot of quarterbacks go down this year and he's out there or he's on your bench, certainly, certainly a viable play. Next up, we've got, this is one of my favorite awards, the discount double stack, uh, paying homage to the discount double check. We give this award to a stack of two or more players uh, that you could use in your lineup this week who play for the same team, guys who did really well this week, but they're not going to be the typical guys that you think of. So we're not going to use, for example, uh, hypothetically, if they were playing a, a, a Joe Burrow and a Jamar Chase, if they had a really great game. We'd like to go with somebody else. So <clears throat> uh, I'm going to get to our winner first. We're going to start with our runner up, someone who, who you could argue maybe fits this award a little bit better. Um, depending on how you feel about the, the next quarterback we'll name. But I'm going to go with Matthew Stafford and Tyler Higby as our honorable mention for the discount double stack award of week 12. Uh, Tyler Higby, the number 120, the number 21 ranked tight end uh, in standard leagues right now. Matthew Stafford, the 19th ranked quarterback. They combined for over 40 points last week as a quarterback tight end duo. Um Pretty tough to top that this past week. I think there was one other quarterback tight end duo that performed better, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think that was Mahomes and Kelsey. Pretty good bar to set, of course. Um, Stafford looked healthy in this game. Higby played a big role in the win. 
had a few catches for him in this game. Had five for 29, had a couple of touchdowns. So a little touchdown dependent, but hey, that's how you win this award. You you show that you've got a good connection with your quarterback, especially in the red zone. Um, shout out to them, man, and, and shout out to the Rams, a team that we think could possibly land a playoff spot later in the year. Um, the other guys I'm going to give award to, though, for this, this might be one of the last weeks we can actually use this. C.J. Stroud and Nico Collins. Stroud at this point is definitely an elite-level quarterback, but Nico Collins is still a guy that that some folks aren't necessarily fully familiar with. Uh, that being said, uh, Collins is rostered in 88% of leagues this year. He was only started in, in half of leagues this past week, so that's part of the reason why I went with him, and, and Stroud is still around that 70% start mark, so even though he's the fourth-ranked quarterback in the league, for some reason there are still some, some guys out there that – uh, don't have him in their starting line lineup. Stroud had 32.86 points just for himself this past week. Collins had 21.9. That's, I mean, that's 50 plus points between those two guys. It, it's it's hard not to take that as a double stack award winner, even if they're guys you might have to spend a little bit more on the waiver wire on. Um, somehow they're they're falling under some other players on the list, but uh, it's a reliable connection seems like some week, every single week, Stroud's going to gonna have someone uh, in tandem with him that, that will put him in the running for this award. Hence why I think we might have to stop considering him going forward. Yeah, I was a little bit taken aback when I saw that you had uh, you had Stroud as one of the, the award finalists for this just because uh, how good they have been lately. I, uh, I have one more I want to throw, throw out there as well, if I may. Uh, Absolutely, and, and we did. We just talked about the Green Bay Packers. How about the uh, Jordan Love, Christian Watson double stack? Christian Watson currently the wide receiver sixty three has had a tough time with injuries this year. But do you think it's a coincidence that Love has thrown five touchdowns and no interceptions, and Watson? Well, it looks like Watson's been playing for a couple of weeks, but Watson has caught touchdowns in each of the past two weeks, and he had his absolute best week of the season this past week at, uh, on Thanksgiving. Five catches, 94 yards, a touchdown, totaling 17.9 fantasy points. I'd like to nominate him and Jordan Love for the discount double stack. A worthy nomination and, and a, a pair I actually strongly considered. The only thing that held me back from uh, including those two is that I already had Love as, as uh, my Put Me In Coach award winner. I haven't set the precedent yet for giving a single player multiple awards in a week. But now that you mention it, now that it's the case, throw them in there, man. Jordan Love, Christian Watkins, congratulations. You've made it to the discount double stack award winners page. Uh, and going forward, I'm not going to be afraid to mention a guy multiple times if I have to. That's for sure. Isn't it fitting that Green Bay Packers win that award too? The discount double stack. <laughs> it, really, it really is, yeah. It, it makes a lot more sense now that you put it that way. Um, without further ado... Our MVPs of the week in fantasy football for this past week. I've got two different guys here. Uh, I'm going to start with the honorable mention because it's someone who actually uh, led all fantasy scorers this past week. He's a polarizing quarterback with a polarizing team now, I guess. Uh, it's Mr. Josh Allen. Um Pretty easy to say that he had an awesome game last week. He put up 40-plus fantasy points, uh, 41 
uh, 0.66 was the official total. Uh, that was a full 20 points higher than his projected point total for the week, uh, putting him, at, I believe, at second second highest uh, differential uh, among all fantasy scores, if I'm not mistaken, at least in standard leagues. So Josh Allen managers, I, I mean, you know what you were doing when you drafted him this year, and, and I'm sure he delivered a lot of wins this past week. But my MVP is going to go to a man who we just got back from injured reserve. I, I don't mean – we as in my fantasy team, or really any of them. However, I would love to have Kyron Williams uh, on my fantasy roster. He's our MVP for this past week, putting up a redonkulous 38.4 fantasy points for a running back. My goodness, that was 24 points more than his projected total for the week and a 37 to 14 win over the Cardinals. Kyron Williams uh, in that game rushed for 143 yards on 16 carries. He also had six receptions for 61 yards and two touchdowns those receiving touchdowns and that receding total that was the difference for him that's where he got all the points from and that's why he's going to win mvp for me this week especially after coming back from injury maybe that's a new award that we have for for, for guys coming back off ir or coming back from injuries playing well whatever might not happen frequently enough for us to actually use it but shout out to kyron williams man um Definitely a guy that a lot of people will be happier are, are back and uh, in the mix of things in that Rams running game. Yeah, credit to you if you've uh, weathered the storm and, and just kept Kyron Williams stashed either on your bench or the IR slot. Uh, I was high on Cam Akers at the beginning of the year. I thought that he would be what Kyron Williams is now, uh, so I got that one wrong. I, at least I knew that the Rams' backfield would be worth investing, but credit to anybody at the beginning of the season who either picked Kyron Williams up off the waiver wire quickly after week one or if you just stashed him on your bench uh, on draft day. He's had a hell of a season when he's been in there. Obviously struggled with the health a little bit over the past few weeks, but yeah, absolutely a shot in the arm. And, uh, you know, we talked about we had Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua on our you let the whole team down. Well, it was really because everything was going to Williams. You talked about he was effective on the ground and he was effective through the air. He really stole the show for the Rams. So I got no problem giving it to him. You know, Josh Allen did score more points, but you know, quarterbacks, it's a little bit easier for them to score in the fantasy game. It's more impressive when, you know, a running back can put up 30 plus so a lot of credit to Kyron Williams. I'm sure fantasy managers that have him, it almost feels like they're getting a trade for free. Big shot in the arm there. And this Rams offense looks all of a sudden a lot better with Stafford back, Kyron Williams back in the fold. And we talked about them potentially making a push for the playoffs. So that'll be an interesting one going forward for fantasy managers. Absolutely. You got to think if they can get Puka and and Cup going in, in that offense as well, um, that could be a Pretty dominant offensive offensive team. We'll see. Certainly for fantasy purposes, at the very least. Um, Paul, what's what's the worst end to a fantasy season you've ever had in the regular season? You ever just missed the playoffs by like one game, and it came at the last week? Um, I can't remember a regular season loss. I got I got a devastating playoff loss. I can tell you about um, if if that would suffice. I lost a and. You know, this was back before I was playing fantasy for money. This is when I was just playing with uh, a couple of my friends. In fact, I, I think it was even in like an ESPN public league before like I had enough people to to join in and do a full fantasy league. But I, a couple of the guys that were in that public league were, were my buddies. So I knew some of them. 
And I lost a semifinal playoff game one time on a, I believe it was Ryan Longwell, extra point that Joe Webb, who is definitely out of football now, led on a meaningless drive for the Minnesota Vikings. This was a game against, I think I want to say they played the Bears, but what was interesting about it is it was right after Minnesota's dome. If you remember maybe 10, 12 years back, I can't, maybe yeah. even more than that, when their dome collapsed. Uh, they had to play snow, at Minnesota Stadium. They they played at the University of Minnesota. They were getting crushed by whoever they were playing. And whoever was starting for Minnesota at the time got hurt. Joe Webb comes into the game and with like five minutes to go, I'm up by one. And I'm either up by one and I didn't have the tiebreaker. I had the tiebreaker and I was down or, and we were tied and he leads the Vikings down on a meaningless drive. And with like less than two minutes to go leads him in for a touchdown, Ryan Longwell, extra point, And I lose that way. That one's always stuck with me as one of the toughest ones. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that hurts me. I don't even, I mean, I, if you had just told me those names, I wouldn't have realized they were football players. No way Joe Webb is still on football. I wonder what I wonder what that guy's doing now. See I, if I can look him up on Google. I think I know who you're talking about, but geez, what a blast from the past. Um I, I don't have any crazy ones that I'm thinking about. I don't have any crazy losses on my end that I can remember. And, and I don't really have any come from behind um playoff pushes I can recall either. Um I've had pretty cut and dry, like black or white finishes to my season the last few years. So um hoping I, I finish out strong in, in my league. So I clinched a playoff spot in, in my work week this past week, which is great. Ten and two records so far. Oh, loving it. And then in our league, I, I, I might have a playoff spot as well. I just gotta get a get a win this week or not lose by 180. So <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be good as long as you uh as long as you just don't crap the bed on points. I looked it up. Joe Webb has not played football since 2020. He bounced around between the Vikings, Panthers, Bills, Texans, and Giants. So keep that in mind for your immaculate gridiron players. Uh, that's quite a few teams there. Career record of one and one. He only ever started four games um, when he bounced around between those other teams. Uh, most of it was just in a backup role. Didn't actually see any action. He only actually played in games for Minnesota. It looks like he got seven attempts for Buffalo in 2017. Career completion percentage of 56.6, 883 yards, three touchdowns, six interceptions, his career NFL stats. I'm sorry for putting our listeners through that, but that is the guy who led a game-winning drive for an extra point that beat me in the semifinals of the playoff once. Joe Webb, ladies and gentlemen. Man. Thank goodness you weren't playing that for money. I I I would yeah, I might have quit. Before, that was before forever. the money days, but that that one sticks with me, dude. Just how freaking Joe Webb. But that's crazy. Anyway. It sticks with you that that long too, because you've been playing fantasy football for money for probably like ten years now. I would guess. Yeah, roughly about that. It was it was probably shortly after that when we started doing it for money. I've had some bad losses, you know, since I've started doing this for money. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that one sticks out to me just like in the nature of, of how that game was going to, it's just, uh, yeah, got, got horror stories. 
also i should mention when paul says for money he does have like a a normal like adult paying job he's not like relying on fantasy football for his income although you could be a, i don't know um <laughs> but mean, not not with how stingy some of our fantasy managers are that's for sure <laughs> yeah that's fair that's fair um folks thanks for sticking around with us this has been a fun podcast talking a lot of nfl fantasy football for you fantasy managers who are uh in your playoff bubble so to speak best of luck boys and girls or uh, i hope you pull it out. Hope you do well. Hope it works out for you. Even if I'm competing against you, you know, I'm, I'm for the sake of good sportsmanship, good competition, unless I'm, I'm playing against you that week. Um, for myself, Mr. Patrick Kamara, it's been a pleasure. Paul, commissioner, thanks for hopping on again, sir. Always a pleasure, Patrick. Uh, to those six and six and five and seven fantasy teams out there, you know who you are. This is crunch time, baby. The last week or two of the regular season, Lay it all out on the line. This is what champions are made of. Best of luck, everyone, fantasy football managers and football fans alike. Uh, stay tuned. Like we said and, and teased earlier in the show, we're going to have uh, some college football and NHL stuff coming on later in the week. So stick around for that on a, on a separate episode. But enjoy this. Leave us feedback. You can follow us on Instagram at fifth and long pod. That's F-I-F-T-H and long pod. Uh, for Mr. Kayshak and myself, Patrick Damar, thanks for joining in. And uh, we'll see you later this week on the Fifth Long Podcast. Mm-hmm.